look to that as the, all these things were happening, it says that, that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So that's my starting point for um, this particular talk. But I want to say something, just if I may, at the start. It, and that is that sometimes in the evangelical church, I don't think we know how to handle Mary. Um, we don't want to worship her, and rightly so. But in turning away from that heresy, sometimes we go too far and we miss what a significant person she is and what we can learn from her. And maybe our attitude towards her is so poor at times that we maybe need to repent of that because we've actually confused her with the heresy about her. We rarely use her as, as an example, maybe not as much as we should, or an inspirational person. And so I'd love for us to change that this morning, to reclaim Mary as someone that we can think of and think about in the same way that we think about all the great people in the Bible who we can be inspired by, who we can learn from, whose lives we want to model. And I, I'm really thankful for the fact that Mary was the kind of person that treasured things in her heart um, because if she hadn't done that, our scriptures would be very different. As the only human witness to the entire life of Jesus on this earth, there are so many details about Mary's life that we just wouldn't have, that the gospel writers wouldn't have been able to get and write down, except that Mary kept those things close to her. She's truly an amazing witness to the wonder of the nativity and the life of Jesus. So Advent is a four weeks before Christmas. It's used in the church calendar as a season of watching and waiting, of being attentive to the coming of God. Of God made flesh, as John um, puts it at the start of his gospel. And, and Jesus talked about this idea of attentive waiting in his own ministry as well. There's several parables that, that lean into this theme of waiting, of expectation, of belief that God will actually come amongst us. And so we think about the parable of the servants, um, and we think about the, the parable of the ten virgins. They're waiting for their master. They're waiting for the bridegroom to come. And this is why Advent is so important to us, because whilst we think about the baby Jesus coming, we're also supposed to think about Jesus coming again, the second coming, the final coming of Jesus, where everything will be made right under him. But we also see the practice of waiting actually quite a lot of times throughout the nativity story. The wise men from the east that Brona talked about uh, last week at our carol service. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen to that. They were watching. They were waiting for a sign. The shepherds, we're told, were keeping their watch, albeit over their sheep, um, at night. But because they were watching and waiting, they got to participate in the miracle. They got to see a multitude of angels giving glory to God. But Mary, too, seems to actually live a life of watchful, purposeful waiting. And there's no greater wait than the nine months that pregnancy brings. 
Every day, there's no doubt that her careful posture before God in her everyday life made her an acceptable dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, an acceptable place for the King of Kings to come and rest in her womb. So let's look at that initial encounter. If you have a Bible, you can turn um, with me in Luke to chapter 1. And I'm so pleased about having this microphone. Um, not because it makes me look incredibly cool, that's just a byproduct, but more because I can actually hold a Bible and turn the pages without having to balance a microphone. So you'll be familiar with this, but let's allow God to speak to us again. Jesus, will you come and speak to us through your word, particularly these words which are so familiar to us that they become alive again in your name. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, she answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant, she answered. I love these words from Mary, her humility, which seems to have come from somewhere deep within her. I am the Lord's servant. Whatever you're going to do, God, may it be fulfilled. There's beauty in this surrender of a young girl whose life will never be the same again because God has spoken. She gets what few of us really understand or get our heads around in those words, I am the Lord's servant. See, he is the Lord, the ruler, the boss, the one in charge. We are his servants, our role Therefore, is to do his will, his commands, to respond to what he says and what he wants to do. And you see, we steer away from that language of Lord and servant because we have so many bad examples of that. We prefer the language of father and son or father and daughter. But what if we can have both? You see, this actually is what the life of Jesus on the earth demonstrated and modeled to us is that he lived with God being his actual father, but also with God being his Lord. 
Because Jesus did, as he said, only what the Father said. Yet there was never more a free person that lived and walked on this earth. And we can experience this freedom too because freedom actually comes from following God's ways because his ways are perfect and just and right and true. But we struggle. Um, John Wimber famously said, people want Jesus as Savior. They want rescue. But they don't want Jesus as Lord. But the thing is, it's a package deal. If you want Jesus as Savior, you have to accept him as Lord as well. And so if only our posture could be a little bit more like Mary's, that no matter how difficult God's direction to us, that we would say with confidence, I am the Lord's servant. The other day, uh, we were driving to Lisburn to see the Christmas lights, and we passed um, a church, and I said to Debbie and, and the kids, oh, there's, there's a church there, and they're still looking for a pastor. And I was commenting on how hard it is to get pastors to take over and to run churches. And I said, no one's crazy enough anymore to go for that job. Not just that particular job, but just pastors in general. And believe it or not, there was a time when I didn't want to be a pastor. And Debbie and I had actually lived for several years in a Christian community house, and that's a story for another day. And it had been amazing in so many different ways. God had done so much, but we were really burnt out. And I remember saying, I don't want to plant and lead a church because people are too complicated. Because obviously it wasn't my problem, it must be somebody else's. Um, but God kept calling us. Unfortunately, I wasn't quite like Mary and just obeyed. It took time. It took the loving words of God over and over again, calling me in to the things that he had for me to the point where I was willing to admit that to place my hope and trust in God as Lord and to follow his ways, regardless of what that might look like, was the best choice that I could make in my life. But the thing about that is that when we choose to follow God, to make him Lord and to follow his ways, we find that that has to be a continual lifelong journey. God keeps calling us to follow his ways. And we as servants must choose again and again to do his will. So after 10 years of church planting, God began to call us again and to call us to count the cost again and again, even though it had been quite a hard cost 10 years of planting a church. So after 11 years, the church that we planted no longer existed, and this church was planted from our vineyard church with many of you from Emmanuel. And so in small ways over the past six years in the history of this church, I have found again and again that God keeps calling and keeps asking, and my posture must be towards him. Whatever you want to do, God, I am your servant. So getting back to our story, Mary goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, and we have some wonderful dialogue, which I'm just going to read, um, and allow God to speak to us through it as Elizabeth prophesies over Mary, and Mary sings in worship to God. So this is from verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord, what the Lord has said will be accomplished. And then Mary, in return, said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Even as he has said to our fathers, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is called Mary's Song, and it reveals someone who has treasured the scriptures in their heart. You see, in that culture, girls would have been educated up to a certain age, but everybody, boy or girl, wouldn't have had a little book to quickly go and connect with. They would have had to have memorized Scripture. And in fact, when Mary sings this song, she's pulling Scriptures from the Old Testament directly. She's echoing the specific words of Hannah from 1 Samuel 2, where Hannah, a woman who could not have a child, is promised a child, and the child of her longing she devotes back to God. And that child is Samuel, who becomes one of Israel's greatest prophets and priests. And she dedicates him back to to God. And so Mary echoes this cry of a woman who longed for a baby, but decided to give that baby back onto the Lord, to dedicate to the Lord. So Mary, even at this stage, knows the child that she is carrying is someone significant who will become the great high priest and the greatest prophet dedicated to God. And one of the interesting things about the whole nativity narrative is that songs are there all of the time. There's at least four occasions where the news of what God is doing causes people who witness it and hear about it to burst into song. Mary, Zechariah, the angels, the shepherd, who were with the shepherds, and Simeon in the temple. Such is the joy of this news that words alone are not sufficient. But the other thing that, that Mary does, which is really interesting, is that in her song, Mary places herself in the story. In this song, Mary says, from generation, generation to gener- generation, all people will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. 
She places herself in the story, but places the emphasis on God as the mighty one who will make, get the things done. But then she goes on to speak, and she says to us, you too can be part of this song and this story. When she says in verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And we are the generations that find ourselves, if we will choose, also in the story of God. And so my encouragement to you today is to place yourself within that story, that we are here in our generation. And Mary is witnessing to us of a life surrendered to the will and purposes of God, calling us humbly to give our yes to God's leading and guidance. As Mary has placed ourselves, herself in the story, we place ourselves into the hands of the author of the story. To be involved in the great narrative, the great story of the unfolding purposes of God on the earth. Paul put it like this in, in one of the letters to the Corinthians. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And so today, what does it look like for God to continue to write his story on your heart? If he's going to be Lord, then you need to give up the pen. But we're, we're so... Um, obsessed with how our life is going to work out and the things we want to get done and what we want to happen that we find that very often we're taking the pen back off God and trying to write the story ourselves or figure out what we would like to, to happen next. And that only leads to frustration and heartache, doesn't it? Because God is the only one who can hold the pen and write the story of our life. So we need surrender. And the next thing that, that happens a bit later on in the story is that we read that Mary treasured and pondered these things in her heart. And if Advent is a season of waiting, and if Christmas gives us an opportunity to stop and reflect, to be mindful of the wondrous miracle of the nativity, then how can we be like Mary and treasure up and ponder things in our hearts and so this is from, from Luke 2 from, uh, in verse 19. Uh, and so the word tre treasured up, the words treasured up in the Greek come from this word centario. And it means to intensely guard. It speaks of an active internalization and a contemplation of the experience. Mary knew that what was happening to her and, and even an experience of the, the wise men coming and the shepherds and the angels and all this stuff, which to her, as she was living them, being in, in a cave or stable or a manger or whatever it actually was, where she was, it was far from ideal circumstances, is treasuring these experiences, allowing them to speak to her. And holding them close to her, treasured up and pondered. And, and in the Greek as well, this word for ponders, it means to confer um, and to think about intently. This wasn't just a, oh, that was a really weird experience. 
kind of thing. And I think it's really important that we take that, those kind of terms quite seriously because we live in an intensely busy time, an intensely busy society. Christmas is really, really busy for so many of us. We're going to events, we're buying gifts, we're cooking food, we're doing all sorts of things. It's also a painful and difficult time for many of us as we grieve lost loved ones, navigate fractured family relationships. So could it be that as we seek the treasure of Christmas in Jesus, that he will draw close to us, to speak to us, to comfort us? Could it be that as we start to place ourselves in the story of the nativity that God will reveal something to us? It's very interesting in the nativity story because there's so many random characters that you're bound to find one that's a little bit like you. There's a young couple who live in a backward village called Nazareth, Mary and Joseph. They're now living under shame and misunderstanding in their community because Mary is pregnant out of wedlock. They end up becoming refugees. They end up homeless. In the wise men, we see these intellectual stargazers trying to figure out the universe. And the interesting thing is that they're actually smart enough not just to contemplate, but to go and discover. There's too many lazy intellectuals out there who aren't actually willing to do the hard work to figure things out, to journey, to investigate. And so maybe we need to be more like the wise men and actually go and see. And we have the hardworking poor shepherds out in the fields doing a job that's quite difficult that isolates them at different times, that uh, makes them have to work shift patterns, finds them disconnected. We had the older generation represented by Simeon and Anna who were waiting patiently in the temple. Sadly, we don't get that far in the nativity story very often, but I would encourage you over Christmas time to go and read that bit. It's really, really good. So place yourself within the story and ask God to speak to you. Treasure and ponder over this nativity season what God would say. And might he say, what might he say to us this Christmas? How might we respond to this baby king? I wonder if we actually treasured him and contemplated and thought about him enough, would this process actually start to change us, to speak to us, to renew and inspire us? And treasure in him, may, could the experience be so deep to reveal something new about him and something that he wants to reveal about us? As we seek his presence, it will bring us assurance. As we seek him, the Prince of Peace, peace will come in to our lives. As we place our hope, our faith, our trust in him, could we actually find that in doing that, the other things that we were holding on to, other things that we were reaching out for, we start to lose our grip of and we let go of. Could we find that instead of the immediate fix of social media scrolling, that we 
enter into a different pattern, a different rhythm in our lives that maybe is a little bit slower and a little bit more contemplative. That how we act and interact with things and people and social media and all that kind of stuff starts to change because we have welcomed Jesus into our lives. I believe that there's a reset of peace available to us. And it doesn't necessarily look like the answer to all the questions that we're struggling with. You see, Jesus doesn't always give answers, but he does always give himself. And there's nothing that answers us more than the quieting of the actual physical presence of God in our lives. That's what the whole nativity story is about, that God comes near, that God dwells with us. And actually, like Mary, God dwells in us, and we are changed. And so, as we're finishing, three things. I am the Lord's servant. Whatever you want to do, God, I'm in. Secondly, place yourself in this story. He's writing a story in and through your life that he feels is worthy of his penmanship. And we need to start believing that a little bit more. And the third thing is treasure up, ponder, take the time to allow scripture to speak to you, to allow the voice of the Holy Spirit to speak to you, that you may be changed and transformed, that Christmas would be significant to you this year. The band are going to come back up. We're going to sing a couple more carols, and then we'll be done. Let's pray. God, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you that you came Jesus, that you came and you walked on this earth and that you showed us how to have a relationship with the Father, that you showed us how to walk in obedience to you and to your ways, and you brought us salvation and a welcome adoption into your family. Will you come again and renew our hearts and minds this Christmas season? Amen. Let's stand.